Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Hello and welcome to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. No Goffy this week. Well, not in the first hour of the show anyway. Uh, Goffy's off skiing. So it's myself, John Norman and Steve Harmison here to lead you through the big events of the past week. We are going to be discussing England's nail-biting defeat in the first ODI with New Zealand. Former Black Cap all-rounder James Franklin will tell us whether Ross Taylor is the most underrated cricketer on the planet. Uh, We're going to cross to South Africa to preview a classic upcoming series with Australia with our very own Adam Collins. Uh, We're going to be talking Durham in our county preview. Why not with uh, Harmy on the show? And we will be treated to a look back to the year 2000 when West Indies were skittled at Lords in this week's Test of Time. Goffey's guest, and it really is unmissable radio, none other than Dominic Cork. So plenty to be getting on with. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Steve Harmison, how are you doing? Are you, uh, are you bunkering down, readying uh, for the for the uh, upcoming beast from the east while I'm uh, sunning it down under? Or am I led to believe you're about to uh, head off to Spain for a few days? Yeah, I'm going to Spain for a few days. I'm, uh, I'm going on a golf trip, which apparently it's going to uh, snow all day Tuesday and uh, rain all day Wednesday over in Spain. So <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I'm talking about golfy being in the uh, in skiing. I reckon up in the northeast we're going to have just as much snow as where golfy is. So... Our fingers crossed it doesn't hit us too bad, but I think the way the forecast is, it looks as though we're uh, in for a tough time. Um, do you know what, mate? I've been down under for four months now. And good, for, yesterday, good for you. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, I know. It's, uh, and they say nurses have it hard. Exactly. Yesterday, yesterday, I saw the first game of cricket that was actually any good. It, was, um, it, was, it made for a rare old treat. I actually felt a bit nervous. With the last uh, last few overs, I couldn't see which way the game was going. It was a, a glorious one-day international, low-scoring 
uh, game, which, as we know, the old cliche says, are usually the best ones. Um, it was just a good game of cricket. And uh, I, I was quite buoyed when I woke up today. It was, uh, it was uh, I know England lost, um, but it was, uh, it was so much to, to appreciate from the match itself. Yeah, it was, and yeah, there was some positive positive signs for for England. Um, you know, Just Butler got got a few runs. We got off to a good start with a white ball, which was uh, which was pleasing, uh, especially after uh, Mark Wood pulled out early in the in the in the warm up. So, from England's point of view, it was a it, it was an encouraging game without obviously getting over the line and winning, which was a, a disappointing thing. But there were some good signs. You know, like I said before, Joss Joss Butler getting a few runs in that in that uh, in that middle order. England getting off to a good start with a with a new ball. Um, in in white ball cricket, which always stands you a, a good chance later down the down the, the back end of the game. But you know, fair play to Ross Taylor; he was fantastic, and mm. he deserved to be on the winning side. To be fair, um, in yeah. these small grounds, are they're good for they're good for the game because you know it was a it was a it was a relatively good pitch. Um, but it was like you said, it was a very very good entertaining cricket that went down to the wire um, with a three three wicket victory. If I'm going to be critical, though, you know, we've got the World Cup coming in England in 2019 and uh, there's so much said about this England side, quite rightly, about how exciting they are to watch and all that. But, you know, is it, you know, this pitch that they played on at Hamilton, Seddon Park, it was a bit tacky. I think it was a worn pitch. Um, and this is where England have found themselves in trouble before, isn't it? You know, and more often than not, when the batting doesn't fire, the bowlers don't always dig England out the hole in the way that we often see in test cricket. And that must still be, that must still be a concern. I know we're 15 months away from the World Cup, but that seems to be the, the problem uh, that England have. Um, there's two key factors in that, what you just said, and that's Broad and Anderson. Um, Broad and Anderson do get England out of a lot of trouble when the batting doesn't fire in test cricket. And I think that's mm. because of the amount and the volume and the experience that they've got. I think in the next 15 months, England have got to find a formula of who is going to be their sort of six bowlers, seven bowlers um, over the course of a series because you can't play every game. Um, and they've got to find that formula. They've got to find a way of how they're going to go about getting... Um, through 15 overs, through that middle period, and then who's going to be the death and what the plans are and, and, and everything. And I think they've got, to, they've got to have a plan that's going to be stuck to and they've got to find people who can work to that plan, bowlers that can work and rotate into that. So that from a, a bowler, I, I didn't think they bowled too badly. I just thought Ross Taylor played yeah. very, very well. I think on a pitch which, yes, it was... Yeah, a little bit, a little bit tacky. But at the end of the day, there's still two here to play. Two, you know, two eighty-three or two eighty-four. Sorry, you played two eighty-seven. They're not low numbers. They're big scores. You know, decent-sized scores in in modern-day international cricket. So, um, I just, I just think England were were beaten by a better man. I think they, they managed to get Tom. Yeah, they them stayed with. Uh, Taylor and, and mm. Taylor got New Zealand over the line. You're going to get that in tough, in tough, close games. You are going to come out on the on the wrong side of it. Um, but hopefully for England's um, confidence and mindset, um, it'll do them do them uh, stand them in good stead. Because what they've got to do next time is make sure it's England get over the line. And I think if it's going nip and tuck and it's going like that, then England are in decent place. Uh, let's hear from the captain, Owen Morgan. He was speaking to Sky Sports News, saying there wasn't a lot wrong with the performance. 
Wasn't much between the sides today. I think that was reflected in the result. Uh, I thought it was a good competitive game. I thought we posted a, a really competitive score, uh, courtesy of Joe Root, um, Jason Roy, and, and, and Josh Butler towards the end. I thought we put a really competitive score on the board. Owen Morgan, the captain, talking to Sky Sports at News there. Um, You know, in the week that Alex Hales decided he's only going to play white ball cricket, the folly of that decision, and uh, we could talk about that a little bit later on in the show, um, I suggest is the fact that within three days he'd been dropped from the England side. Uh, You know, we could talk a bit later about the wise and the where for the, for uh, Hale's decision to to go down the route that Adil Rashid did, but um, surprise that uh, Bairstow and Roy were uh, selected ahead of Hale's, considering Hale's performance in white ball cricket for England over the last couple of years. A little bit, but they had to fit Ben Stokes in somewhere, um, and mm. I don't believe they could. I couldn't put him if I was putting a selectors hat on or a captain's hat on, picking a team. I'm not sure I could have picked. Stokes for Plunkett as such, um, because that was the that was the place that was up for up for grabs because Liam played uh, in the last series and he was the one that got injured. I'm not sure after five months out. I'm not sure I could have trusted Ben Stokes' bowling to go in to go straight in no, um, to be no. that to be the uh, front line specialist seam bowler um, having to bowl these ten overs. I think I'd need a luxury of having a a sixth, possibly seventh bowler to, to have Stokes in my team. So I then have to drop a batsman. Um, were the taking Alex Hills out the firing line after what just happened? I'm not sure, possibly. Um, Roy had a big score. I think the one that was vulnerable was the captain. But you can't drop you couldn't drop Morgan and I wouldn't have dropped I wouldn't have dropped Morgan. So you know the next the next uh, I'd say not sensible decision but the easiest decision for them was uh, to go with Alex Hills because he was batting in the, uh, he wasn't he wasn't going up up in the the top of the order he was going in, in the middle of the order and that's where Ben Stokes was going to, wasn't going to have to go so I think it was the it was a natural choice but um, you had to bring Ben Stokes back into the team it is simple as that and somebody had to make way unfortunately for Alex it was uh, it was him uh, let's hear what the captain Owen Morgan had to say about Ben Stokes' performance he's delighted to be back. I think he's told everybody that. Um, it's, 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 it's an awesome feeling when you've when you've been away and you come back in and you're back in a very you know, fun environment, an environment in which you have a lot of good friends around. So I can vouch for that. I spend a lot of time away while the tests are on and come back in and puts a smile on your face. He travelled really well. Uh, even after the first spell, he, he said he could have bowled a little bit longer, um, but we didn't really need him to at the, at the time. So, again... Uh, like it was mentioned, we needed something to happen, so he's, he's the type of player that can, can make things happen. So um, he'll certainly pull up stiff tomorrow. Uh, the return of Ben Stokes. Uh, it's been a while, middle of September, the last time he played for England. He looks lean, doesn't he? He looked ready for it. Um, and you've been out the game for uh, for reasons, through injury or, or through uh, through whatever. It, it, it just must have been almost a relief for him uh, just to get back doing what he loves to uh, loves to do more than anything else and that's play cricket for England yeah I think he wants to get rid of the, the sort of uh, little bit of circus that follows him that follows him around it's been following him around a little bit doing his job he wants to get back to, to doing what he's what he's paid for and that's to play cricket uh, I was pleased to see him back on the field um, and it was nice to see him you know running in with some you know, with some good heat, he was approached the crease very, very well. Um, 
he's one of these ones that when you mentioned the wicket before and the tacky tacky wicket he's one that suffers on these wickets because he likes the ball coming mm. onto the bat he likes the ball coming to him uh, the quicker the bowler the quicker the pitch the better Ben Stokes is so the pitch didn't do him any favours with the bat with the ball uh, he looked a little bit I think he looked a little bit rusty but who isn't going to be rusty after after five months I think just pleasing to see him back on the field and getting away from the, the media spotlight that's been on him for for a, for a while and like Owen Morgan says yes he'd be stiff this morning but he'd be relieved he'd be relieved it's out the way he come back on its on its uh, on its way and I am ready for the next game and then the next game after that and yeah fingers crossed we'll start seeing the better of Ben Stokes as and when this series goes on ready for hopefully you'll get the best out of him in the test matches where you know he doesn't have to he doesn't have to be rushed he doesn't have to he can go at his own tempo um, and he can he can breathe into the game rather than you know the crash bang wallop of, of white ball cricket uh, he was applauded warmly as he walked to the crease uh, he wouldn't have got that if it, his first game back had been against australia and i suppose credit to the ecb really for uh, for for foreseeing that and uh, just also realizing that you know he did need to just dip under the radar a little bit on his return to the england setup yeah most definitely most definitely um and i'm and i'm pleased he did i was I'm glad to say I was I was wrong when I um, when I, in my assessment of it I I probably would have left him until the IPL and let him come back and play cricket in the IPL rather than uh, back in New Zealand because I think in in the IPL there's little uh, little chance of the media getting close to him little chance of uh, being more of a you know more I think I think the scrutiny on him would have been less if he had gone back with the IPL and the big names and stuff like that but when I seen him go out and then. You know, the warm round of applause. Uh, I'm glad to see I was wrong. He should have come back in this series and it was right to do so. And, you know, credit to the decision makers because it was the right decision to leave him away from Australia and getting him back into, I think the hands were tied a little bit as well, but getting him back mm. into, into New Zealand, I think is, uh, has done not only Ben, but I think um, cricket in England, the world are good to get him back under the radar and not back in the, the, the Ashes spotlight. So a couple of wickets for Stokes, uh, but in the end, and I think we were all expecting maybe to bowl that last over um, and just uh, and seal the comeback in style. But uh, Owen Morgan opted for Chris Wokes and uh, it didn't uh, pay off for England on this occasion. Mitchell Santner, who uh, uh, about uh, 20 minutes beforehand, I tweeted, looked out of his depth um, and then was reminded of that tweet for the rest of the evening. Uh, crashed him away for a six and uh, and won the game for New Zealand. New Zealand winning it by three wickets and it sets up the five-match ODI series uh, quite beautifully. Um, we're going to continue talking about uh, the game but with more of a New Zealand slant because um, James Franklin um, former black cap and a man who played alongside Ross Taylor on many occasions is going to join us here on Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Welcome back to the show. John Norman here and alongside me Steve Harmison as uh, Goffey is uh, at Prey skiing 
um, for the next uh, few days. Seems to be a talk sport thing at the moment. I think Big Al's off skiing as well. And uh, uh, Steve, not skiing, but a bit of Spain ahead for you. Uh, pleased to say that uh, James Franklin, former New Zealand all-rounder, is with us on the show to look back at the uh, the first ODI between New Zealand and England, which uh, saw the Black Caps uh, squeeze home by uh, three wickets. And a really good game it was too. But uh, James... Cheers for joining us. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Ross Taylor. I was reading an article about three or four weeks ago here in New Zealand. Uh, Andrew Alderson, I think, was writing it. And he was of the opinion that if uh, Ross Taylor had been allowed to play as many test matches as uh, some of the other uh, stars of the test game, Alistair Cook, for instance, um, his figures would actually be up there alongside some of the absolute true greats of the game. I'm not sure uh, whether you'd go that far yourself. Yeah, I I probably would agree um, with Andrew on that. I think the hard thing for New Zealand cricketers is obviously we don't get the volume of test cricket as the leading test nations like England, like Australia, like India. We don't play in those iconic test series. So the numbers uh, for New Zealand test players to get, it takes a very, very long time. I think Brendan McCullum ended up playing 101 consecutive test matches, yet he'd started his test career before Andrew Strauss and, and finished it probably three or four years after Andrew Strauss. And Strauss, as an example, easily played 100 tests. So, um, you know, I think Ross Ross's stats match up pretty well worldwide, but just that volume in, in terms of tests and then being able to get the volume and runs just isn't quite there. And James, how long how long do you think Ross can can go on for this this New Zealand side is relatively I'd say relatively inexperienced, but relatively young, and I think you know the need I think Ken Williamson needs Ross Taylor's experience from a captain's point of view. But how long can Ross go on for? I had a brief brief spell playing with him alongside him at Durham, and he's a great character. He's a fantastic player, and he's a you know, he's a good teammate in that group. And I think that's what I mean is how can how long can Ross influence that group and how long can his body go on for because he's not getting any younger is he no he's not honey um i think ross i think he's about 33 now 34 so i mean as a batsman you can probably get through to 37 38 if if your body's in good order i think he looks after himself pretty well it'll probably just come down to the want and obviously there's a there's a world cup next year whether he sees that is potentially a bit of a swung song i don't know um but there's no doubt that he's still able to perform. I mean, his 100 yesterday was world-class. Mm. Um, it was the absolute match-winning innings of the of the game. So um, there's no doubt. And I, I think you're right. I think the, the one-two punch of him, him and Kane is, is just so vital for the success of the New Zealand team. And you've got Tom Latham as well, who, for all Durham fans out there, he's just signed to be, um, I think, Durham's one-day captain. Uh, for the season, which is great news for for Durham because they need some good news. He looked in in good form yesterday as well, and he's somebody as well I've known. He came to Durham as an acad- in the academy uh, with, I think it was a swap with Paul Wiseman, um, and a right. and a kid who was you know very you know, a lot of questions. He, his enthusiasm for the game is brilliant, and it's great to see him back at Durham. But I thought he played brilliantly as well yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tom's a cracking lad. He's um he's got a very wise head on young shoulders and. Um, there was always no doubt about him going on to do great things for New Zealand and, and hopefully it'll get better and better for him. This series um, is a really important series for Tom. He's had, a, he's had a very lean summer back home in New Zealand after having a very, very good tour of India in October. So 
I know that he'd be highly enthused about you know making a, a significant contribution yesterday in a, in a, in a winning cause, and, and hopefully he goes on to better things through this uh, this one day series. But I mean, as far as Durham's concerned, they've, they've got a very very good player in their hands at the moment. What is it about the media down here, James? Because um, you know Tom Latham's under pressure in the media. Um, Simon Dawes saying Kane Williamson shouldn't play T20s. That was an interesting post-match uh, presser, by the way, after Kane Williamson hit uh, a match-winning uh, knock and then had to be interviewed by the same bloke. Um, there was a lot of irony around that. <laughs> <laughs> there was. It's quite unusual. I don't know if you two have ever... Actually, Harmy um, or James, have you ever been in a position where, as Kane Williamson was, you, you find yourself getting absolute pelters from um, a former teammate or a, a former player, uh, and then the very next innings, you you win the game for your club and then or your team, and then you end up actually having to be interviewed by that very same person on the field after the game. How how would that have felt for uh, for Kane? Um, it used to happen yeah. every week to me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think uh, I think fair credit to, to Simon Bill for actually probably probably doing it. It would have been easy for him to shy away, but he probably took the bull by the horns and said, "No, no, no, I'll uh, I'll be the man to do the presentation." And um, you know, in that example, I think Kane, you know, would have been very very happy to obviously, you know, he 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 made a, a match winning contribution in that game. But um, yeah, look, there's, there's there's always criticism whether you're a player or, or a team. Um, there's always opinion around, and I guess that's why you guys are in the jobs that you're in, and, and, and we're talking about stuff at the moment. It just comes with with sport, and you've got to be able to wear it, whether it's good or bad. I think that's the most important thing, isn't it, James? You've just done you've just done some stuff with Sky with Keezy and, and Nick Knight. You, you know, that's what that's your job. You know, you've got to be able to put your hat your hand on your heart and say what you actually believe. And you know, you're right. Simon Dole stood up, stood up to be counted. Could easily have given it to somebody else and and walked away. And I think I think Kane Williamson's comments were were brilliant as well. I think um, I think I remember the first time I did Sky was with Bob Willis, who had caned me for about ten years, and he just said, <laughs> "Look, don't worry, don't worry about the camera. Don't worry about anything. If you disagree with anything I say." just don't threaten to sit to speak up and I, I remember saying Bob I've not agreed with anything you've said for 10 years and he, he just <laughs> pat me on the back and, th- and he just said you'll do and it, that that's his job that's the job you've got to do and um, and credit to, to both of them for doing that but I think James this New Zealand side over the course of the next four games um, what sort of confidence levels do you think that's give them moving forward because like you said there has been a little bit of criticism in the New, New Zealand press um, going forward this sets this series up to be a you know, five match series up to be a humdinger yeah absolutely and, and let's not forget that you know obviously England have probably been the form one day team in the world for the last 18 months so you know the, these two teams are exceptionally good one day teams yesterday's game was an absolute cracking game of one day cricket a great advert for the game after you know a pretty good try series in T20 format and a lot of discussion around short format contracts and, and test cricket and, and where it's all going I think yesterday's advert for one day cricket was absolutely brilliant and I think I think the pitch played a part in that. I think you know having a slightly slower wicket where, where batsmen actually had to show some true batsmanship. It wasn't just going out there and whacking the ball from ball one. I thought that brought you know particularly the slower bowlers into the game. So I, I think the series is really set up nicely. Um, you know New Zealand have done very well uh, back home in New Zealand in the one day format. They've 
I think they've won nine in a row now. So England will be very, very well aware that they're up against a very tough team in their in their backyard. But I think England um, England have got a, a right show of, of doing very well in this series. Brilliant stuff. James, uh, really appreciate your time and um, look forward to speaking to you at some point over the next month or so as this series continues, hopefully along those lines. That's uh, James Franklin, former Black Cap all-rounder. Um, Harmy, I mean, Ross Taylor, uh, as an underrated batsman, I mean, you must be asked all the time, who are the best players you ever bowled to, yada, yada, and... You know, you you dole out the lines, the the, the Laras and the Calluses and uh, and the Pontings and what what forth. But you know, in terms of the 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 batsmen or batsmen that you used to bowl to that perhaps didn't get the credit uh, that we would be more surprised about. You know, who were the who were those out there, the more underrated batsmen that you used to find particularly difficult to get out? Well, you've, you've just got to look at yeah, you know, and, and when you, you mentioned there the, the top names in one day cricket, Ross Taylor was right up there as well. You know, as, as players you played against and yeah this bloke was was fantastic in one day cricket being able to like james says the you know the batsmanship you know being able to you know constructive in constructing innings from first 20 balls to then going through the gears to then maximizing uh when you are in that you stay in and you win you, you make the big score for your team but there was a there was a few out there you know when you look at the big the big teams you know the australias and the the indias uh, especially, you look at the, the top players. There was always people underneath. You know, Damien Martin, especially. You know, top top player, but because mm. because you had like um, uh, Hayden Ponton, they were getting the recognition. Martin and, yeah. and and Langer, they they just sort of come under the radar and a little bit. Then you got Michael Clark came up, and and sort of this the, the new kid on the block as such at the time, um, and. Uh, Martin and Langer just sort of kept quietly under the radar, and you, know, you played against the big, you know, the big Indian teams, you know, the, you know, the best Indian teams, and uh, you'd, you'd be wary of of Sachin. Everybody was wary of Sachin, and then, you know, you had Sewa getting you off to a good start. But you know, it's 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 harsh to say he got he was under the radar because he's never under the radar. But someone like Raul Dravid, who just batted all day every day. And yeah. they, they were the ones... 2002. Held, oh, it was ridiculous. They were the ones that just held everything together. So, you know, all the, the big teams have got them. And all the big teams had them. They had the superstars, which went crash, bang, wallop, who looked pretty and great on the eye. But the reason why they were good and they were pretty and great on the eye was because they had a, a rock, somebody that just you know, went along nice and steadily, very difficult to get out, didn't go smashing boundaries here, there and everywhere. But because they were there and people batted around them, it was a very, very difficult unit to get out. And they're the ones, you know, you mentioned Ross Taylor under under the radar. But um, the likes of uh, Damian Martin, Raul Dravid, greats of the game for me now. But they were the ones that were more difficult to get out because the big players, the Pontons, the Laras, they give you a chance because they went for the they went for their shots. Where someone like Damian Martin and, and, and Raul Dravid for me, you know, if once they got in, they were difficult to be removed. Um, you're listening to Darren Goff's uh, Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2 with me, John Norman. Steve Harmison uh, is deputising for Goffy today. And we've got plenty more coming up on the show. Goffy's actually going to be part of the show talking to Dominic Cork, another former England uh, fast bowler, um, about uh, West Indies uh, 2000 in tester time. We're going to be uh, previewing Durham uh, in the county uh, championship previews later in the show and crossing to South Africa to chat to Adam Collins. Uh, you're listening to Darren Goss Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2.
Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. So this time last week, uh, Harmy, all the news, and there was quite a lot of it, about Adil Rashid deciding to uh, play a white ball contract only game with Yorkshire uh, in 2018 and saying he was uh, just feeling a little bit uh, lacklustre when it came to the red ball cricket. Uh, and within a couple of days of that, and uh, we had Martin Moxon on, the coach at Yorkshire. Goffey had his say, and there was quite a lot of pick-up throughout the week on, on various uh, cricket websites and uh, in cricket newspapers. Um, and then within about two or three days, Alex Hale thought, right, Adil Rashid, he's done all the hard work. I'm going to piggyback on and announce the same thing. I'm being slightly unkind, of course. Um, but your thoughts on, on Hale's and Rashid's decision coming in the same week that uh, the England captain, Owen Morgan, is saying that he's going to play county cricket, Red Bull stuff, because it helps with his technique. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm pleased he said that. Um, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, it's dividing uh, opinions. Mine is, I'm not really bothered. Honestly, if he doesn't want to play Red Bull cricket, fair enough. You know, if he's and I'll, you know, admire Adil's honesty. You know, if it's if he if he if he is becoming lacklustre, you know, they're no, they're not, they're not gonna. It's it's you know, I'd show that if he didn't play in the Ashes, he's not gonna get, he's not gonna get picked for England anymore. So you know, giving giving somebody else a chance to play for Yorkshire. And the one thing, the one thing this does, um, it frees up a little bit of money for counties who haven't got a great deal in the first place, and. They might be able to get an unearthed, an 18, 19-year-old with that money that Adil Rashid's freed up or Alex Hills has freed up. And within two to three years, especially somewhere like Peter Moores, he'll be able to, because he, he can coach every ounce of goodness and every ounce of your technique to get the best out of you as a young player. And if he can do that with the money that's been saved on Alex Hills' Red Bull contract, then all of a sudden they might have a, we might have the next superstar on our hands who wouldn't have getting a chance because Alex Hales has just gone through the motions playing red ball cricket for Nottingham. So that's that's one aspect of it, one look at it. I'm worried a little bit from uh, from a test cricket's point of view. Mm. Um, I think I'd tell you what, I'd be more worried if somebody like Josh Butler did it because I still think he's got loads to give at the test arena. And I thought Josh Butler might have done it before anybody else because of the amount of white ball cricket he plays and... There seemed to be this pigeonhole of a one-day specialist. I still think he's got loads to give in the red ball game. But Alex Hales, Adil Rashid, no great loss for me to, to red ball cricket in this country because I don't think either of them are going to play fr- cricket for England again. Um, and if it frees up a little bit of cash for somebody else to come into the game uh, at a younger level to try and forge and who's got the hunger, the desire and the drive to get better, then it's a good thing for English cricket. Uh, I really do think that. Um, but from you know from that aspect, yeah, what would this is this is a for me a, a go at the ECB. If Adil Rashid and Alex Hales decide in a year's time, if things if they get jettisoned out of the England cricket team because they're not bowling or batting very well, if they're not getting the IPL contracts and they're not getting the contracts around the world, if they turn around and say I want to play red ball cricket again because the contract offers aren't coming in, then the ECB should be strong enough to say nah. Should say no. Well, We're not, you're not well, coming you back. You're not coming back because Cricket Australia would do that. Because I remember during my time playing, as soon as you finished playing Test cricket, you didn't play state. You didn't play state cricket. Once you were sort of out of the, you know that that 
having the possibilities of playing international cricket. You know, very rarely did a did a, a good uh, old Test cricketer go back and play state cricket. And I think in this country we've got to look at that and think right. We haven't got money in counties, so let's make sure the money that's going to the right people, given the the want, the hunger, the drive to get better, which will enhance the you know, the game of cricket in this country, and not just people who go back after you know, a test career to pick up some easy money. And I'll put my hand up, put my hand up. You know, I, I've just said this to you off air. I should have retired in 2009 because for three years afterwards, I didn't have the hunger, desire to go forward that I that I needed to have or should have had. And that was that's something that that disappoints me. You don't know it as it, when you're going through it, but on hindsight, mm. you go back. So for me, if they decide to want to come back and play red ball cricket, I'm not sure I'd be be too. I'm not sure my words would be too kind them coming back because they shouldn't be allowed to come back. Um, Owen Morgan, who, who of course has played uh, hasn't played Test cricket for six years now, I think. Speaking this week, saying that uh, maybe the horse has bolted. Um, Test cricket has got a lot of problems. He's saying, but his solution, uh, or at least one of the solutions, is to basically pay cricketers more to play Test cricket. You need to pay them as much as uh, you're paying them. Uh, for T20 and limited overs, and he says, if you, if that happens, you will see the best players wanting to play the game again. Is it is it really that simple? I think it is. Uh, I agree with him on that point of view. Um, I'm not sure. I've only read the context of what he said, saying Test cricket's a bit of a luxury at this moment in time. I'm not sure what he's meaning by that. I hope he's I hope he's not being sort of detrimental to Test cricket. I don't think he would be, but I didn't um, I didn't hear that him say that in the context. So I'll be interested in how he's he's put that across um but um he has got a, a duty as a as a an, as england captain to try and promote the game the best he possibly can and i think he has got a point he is right by saying i think you have to make make it more um lucrative for people to play the test game because let's be fair that for me it's the ultimate when you're grey, fat and old like myself at this moment in time, you remembered on how many test wickets or test match appearances you've played. And at the minute, it's it's about how many, what IPL contract you've got. And yes, the money makes the world go round. And I do I do see that. But when you, when you look and you talk about the greats of the game, not many people talk about how many one-day runs have scored or how many um, 2020 games have played. You know, T- Sachin Tendulkar is remembered for how many he's got 15,000 test runs Alistair Cook's record is phenomenal in test cricket Nobody, nobody's bothered about how many one day games he's played Darren Goff, the man who's got this programme 240 odd test wickets that's what he's remembered for rather than how many one day games or how many one day wickets he's got so I think that is the ultimate for me and it still will be in 20, 30, 40 years I believe it still has to be to keep the game going uh, let's hear from Adil Rashid actually because uh, credit to the guy he's, he's fronting up he's being honest and he's saying that uh, he was going through the motions uh, whilst playing Red Bull cricket for Yorkshire last year for the past year I had that feeling inside me you know playing when I play, playing for Yorkshire uh, my mind wasn't really you know there playing Red Bull cricket I wasn't really 100% committed you know I was keeping it inside me and you know I had to make a decision then you know I couldn't you know go through another season feeling like this and letting the team down but also letting myself down so that's when you know it wasn't an easy decision I had to you know have a long long think about it but um, that's when I spoke to Maya Mox and I mean, you know we had a discussion and and you know he was happy that I you know made this decision made this decision and told him told him in advance 
Adil Rashid speaking to Sky Sports there. Now, you know, it was only, well, I suppose about 20 years ago now, Michael Atherton was the captain of the England team, the Test team, and he was very uh, vocal at the time, well, maybe a little bit afterwards, but he found it difficult to motivate himself. Um, and, you know, he, he wand- wondered whether he could motivate his players. Um, you know, touring around the world and playing cricket for a living looks very glamorous, and at times it is when you're winning. But they're long days, aren't they? They're long days. And you yourself, even even before 2009, there must have been times when, you know, you're standing in the field and you've got another session to go and there's no hope of uh, of winning the match, and your mind must wander. Um, what what is the point in all this? Um, well, I, I give up one day cricket probably in my in my peak. It, you know, I think it was in two thousand and six. Um, but mine was for for reasons of I I I was getting sick of travelling. Uh, you know, I had a I had a family, a young family that I was I wasn't playing as many one day games, and I made the decision uh, that I'd. I, I wasn't enjoying going away and I thought it would give me the you know, the enthusiasm for test cricket because that's what I prioritised and that's what I wanted to play. Um, so I've got no problem with people not wanting to play the game. Um, and they're doing it for the right reasons and if they're doing it for the right reasons. Um, and a deal there, he's, he, he honestly says, I, I'm going through the motion so I don't want to do it. No problem with that whatsoever. I haven't had any problem with what him or Alex are doing at all. Um but uh, I would have a problem if they decide that because if they're not playing very well, they want to decide to come back. And if it's got anything to do with the sort of financial, it's got to be for the best of their performance. And I think if this is going to make their performance better, I'm all for it because it gives somebody else a chance that wants to play in the game, which is uh, which is in the red ball game. I fear a little bit. I think that this could be a good shot across the bow of the ECB this year. Why they're pulling out of why are they pulling out of red ball cricket? Um, I don't believe the scheduling. Uh, sorry, the the first class game is is poor. I think it's I think it's okay. I just think the timings of the games could be better. Um, I'm talking about first class cricket in this country. Um, but you're right. When you stand on a field, it it, it it can be have long days. And but I'll never moan about the, the long days you have on playing cricket because you know you could have it a lot worse and. Um, they do are they are long days and it's mentally it's it's physically draining, but I'm sorry you know the, the the job you've got as a professional cricketer is a good one, and it's a one that for me I I love doing daily and I would never ever I'd never ever complain or moan about it. Uh, comments uh, last week with Trevor Bayliss saying that we should scrap international T20s. I gave him short shrift last week with Goffey. What's your thoughts? Um, I've said it for five five years plus now. Uh, I don't see the point of playing international T20s other than maybe it's every two years a, a World Cup or a, an ICC event. Um, I think a lot more people enjoy watching Rajasthan Royals against Mumbai Indians than they do watching England against New Zealand. Um, I think that, I think T20 globally around the world <clears throat> is good enough in the franchise system for us not to have. Um, for us not to have international T20s and it gives us a chance for me it gives us a chance to maybe look after our players then that extra week would be a massive massive difference um, and it's, it, it is a difficult one whichever side of the fence you sit on I'm not, I think you're on the other side you, you, you quite enjoy them but um, I'd rather have 
I'd rather play less 50 over games if you want to play more T20s or I'd get rid of T20 if you want to keep the, the 50 over format of the game. So I, I just wouldn't like to continuously have both go from test to one day to then T20s. And to be fair, we're only playing one or two per series that are going round. I, I just think they're, they're a little bit pointless. Thing is, right, I was in, um, I'm, well, I still am, I'm in New Zealand. Mm. Now, and this is a point I made to Goffey last uh, last week, and it's a similar argument to one I made years ago when Graham Swan was saying that uh, scrap ODIs. It's all well and good us saying that from England, but I've been to Eden Park three times, and uh, the last time was last Friday, New Zealand against Australia, for a T20, crowd 35,000. Mm. 2015, I went to a 50-over game, same teams, crowd 44,000. Uh, in 2014, I went to see a brilliant day's test cricket uh, when New Zealand beat India, fourth day. I mean, it was incredible. Crowd, 3,000. Now, market forces determine the game. Market forces determine everything about life. We can't afford, or certainly New Zealand cricket can't afford, not to play international T20s. Um, and I'd say, suggest that the same is true for most countries in the world. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I, and I see that. I do see that, but I think you, you look at you look at the the franchise system of the way they've got T20. I think I'd rather I'd rather see that than international T20. Personally, um, I still think Test cricket is the ultimate the ultimate, um, and I think our players now are so. I think our our players should be protected time wise, so we can get the best out of the players. It's an entertainment business, and I would like. I think if you lost, either, if you played more T20s, less one days, um, or for instance, you have got five one day nationals, and you've got three T or two T20s that's out there. I'd rather just have five games. So if it's and, and shorten it, shorten that tour by a week. But what you're doing is you're not getting players injured. You're looking after these players so they can be the best peak fitness that possibly can be to put the best spectacle on and I think that will that will benefit cricket full stop so yeah uh, it's just it's just the way I feel and the way I see things um, I'd like them to go that, that tour could be either the same the same time from a, a day's point of view but two or three less games which then has two or three less uh, preparation days which gives the players better time to prepare for the next game or longer time to prepare for the next game which makes sure that you know they're put on a good spectacle because like you said before you mentioned that players stand in the field and it's like oh no not another day here we go again you know the t- the tours seem to be getting longer we're resting players you know we had to we rest we had to rest Joe Root we've had to rest um, Moen Ali you know Liam Plunkett one of the fittest blokes I have ever played cricket with is getting injured you know, we're picking up little niggling injuries. And I think that's the time that people are spending on the feet. Now, I'd like to reduce that, play a couple of less games. But, you know, the, the, the product is a lot much better. And how I do that, you know, how you do that, I would say I would lose the two T20 days every single series that there is, which gives you prep, more preparation time for the other, the, other, the other formats of the game of cricket. Because there's a hell of a lot of T20 going around anywhere. So, yeah, views of Steve Harmison deputising for Darren Goff uh, on this week's uh, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. (laughs) 
So, Harmi, a big series uh, coming up this week, Australia against South Africa. It's always a good series. And it's a bit of a bizarre one as well because um, the two teams uh, flush with fast bowlers' um, excellence, uh, a couple of good batsmen in there as well. But it's, it, they've almost like swapped um, series the last few times they've played. Australia keep beating South Africa in South Africa. And uh, South Africa do the same to Australia in Australia. It's a bit bizarre. Um, we're going to talk a bit about that later uh, in, in a few minutes' time. But uh, I couldn't help but notice that the Lions, England Lions, out in the Caribbean at the moment, have, uh, well, they've taken a bit of a pummeling. Um, and considering the strength of the West Indies cricket, uh, it doesn't really bode well that our boys are being sent out there and uh, not performing. Yeah, it was a... <clears throat> A surprise. I mean, you surprised the word. It was uh, a shock. Uh, you look at the first team of Austria, of the West Indies at this moment in time. You know, they've, they've done okay, but they haven't. You know, they haven't really been dominating world cricket. So you think, especially the size of you know the, the pool of players that the West Indies have got to choose from. Then, if you look at you know what's underneath, you can't imagine it being that strong. But England have got some good young players have gone over there, who have got first-class games under their belt and got some first-class runs under their belt and they haven't performed and I'm I'm slightly concerned at that because you know England the ECB like to bang the drum about the the young program this and young program that and maybe it's all we my concerns always been do we do we give enough for these cricketers to learn for themselves or are we just spoon-feeding them all the time do this, do this, do this, do this. And that, for me, is worrying because England should not be going over to the West Indies and losing to the West Indies here. England should be going over there and dominating. And are we are we producing possibly soft cricketers? Are we producing cricketers who can't think for themselves? Um, that would be my slight concern. Yeah, this is opinion from 5,000 miles away, but it does look as say, though because... I'm, not, I'm not convinced by what's happening in that young programme for me to be overly enthusiastic to think right what happens when Anderson goes and it's soon what <laughs> well, happens yeah. when Braun go, Brun Broad goes and that's not as soon as what Anderson and Alistair Cook what happens when they go who's going to come and replace them because Alistair Cook's had 12 15 opening different partners we haven't got anybody standing up telling me right I want to take Jimmy Anderson's spot and that for me concerns me especially when I'm seeing them going over to the Caribbean and getting beat off 2-0 off the West Indies here isn't it more because England batsmen can't play spin because the pitches have been so spin friendly. Um, I mean, I think 70 or 80 percent of the wickets spin uh, has accounted for 55 of the 66 wickets to fall across both sides. You know, West Indies pitches aren't like what they used to be. And we've just seen England go to India and get spun a web. Um, It's just the same things happening here. Yeah, but if, if, if England, if, if the hierarchy's got that much concern of England not being able to play spin, why we're we not going to India? Or we go on to play Pakistan in the UAE or you know, we're going to Sri Lanka. Why do we have to go to the West Indies? If we can't play spin in the West Indies, we, these, these young lads have got no chance when they go to India because the West Indians, you know, they're renowned for fast bowling. They're not, not many world-class spinners in the West Indies. Um, if these young lads aren't performing against spin, and it's it's glare, it's it's being obvious that spin is a is a is a problem for England because of like you mentioned the wickets that's been took. 
if these young lads are trying to forge a career in international cricket and they're going to the West Indies and getting spun out, they've got no chance in India. Got no chance in India, Sri Lanka, and, and if they go play Pakistan and the UAE. So that concerns me a little bit. Um, but like I said, you know, the, are we producing cricketers that can think for themselves? Or are we, are we looking at, are we still trying to force, uh, spoon feed these players into playing a certain way, which is you know, an ECB way, which comes out the coaching manual? I don't see many players in that setup who are something different, a little bit aloof. Someone like, you know, when Kevin Peterson walked out at Lord's first day of the Test match, you know, he hit Glenn McGraw over the top of his head for four. Somebody that's got something that's a little bit special, a little bit different. Um, what I'm seeing is some very mechanical cricketers um, produced in the same way, um, which concerns me about the game in this country from a young player's point of view. Um. As I was mentioning earlier, superb series coming up uh, later this week. Um, South Africa against Australia, I think, kicks off on Thursday. Um, there's something about this series that always excites me. As a youth, I used to love watching this series because South Africa were the only team I would support Australia against. So it meant I could actually enjoy watching Shane Warne. Um, these days, I much prefer watching South Africa win, but uh, it, it promises to be... Um, a, a series where ball dominates bat, and they're usually the best ones. They are, and the, they've got the best pitches for that. For me, um, there's always the good cricket pitches in South Africa, uh, and the ball carries, it bounces, goes through. You see the keeper taking it above his head. Um, you've got to be 100% switched on, bang on technique, skill levels, uh, concentration when you are standing there 22 yards away with a bat against these two bowling attacks. And that, for me, is why this series is going to be great. Two bowling attacks who are on top of the game, if you look at recent series against uh, you know top opposition. Um, if when you get test matches like this, it tends to be, yes, bowl, bowling unit against bowling unit. But there's always somebody. The difference between winning and losing is that one batsman stands up and be accountable for his team. And I think them two people on either side will be Hashim Amla and David Warner. And are both top of the order, and they both have got to get their team off to so not only solid starts, but they've got to make sure they're there seeing the new ball off. Because if they do, they've got a great chance to nullify what is two potent bowling attacks. And I think that could be the difference between the series. It's made for you know, arguably two of the best bowling attacks in the world at this moment in time, two of the best teams in the world at this moment in time, and on the right pitches. Pitches that are not Australia where they're just flat but got pierce these will swing and they'll do a bit off the seam and then pitch are the ones where you get proper proper test cricket and good cricket matches well we just saw a fascinating series between south africa and india south africa winning that 2-1 uh, although uh, india did uh, snatch the last one but uh, well let's hear from the coach actually darren layman uh, saying that the players are feeling fine after a busy schedule yeah, we're not too bad, actually. Um, obviously, uh, a couple of days. You can much sleep after the final and get on an early flight and get across all the way here. So a couple of lay days, if you like, not doing too much. And same with uh, Davey, a couple of light days for him and then get on the plane here and away we go in Durban getting ready for a test match. So exciting times ahead for, for everyone. And the boys played really well in the tour game. So that was, that was a good result for us there, leading into what's going to be a really exciting series. 
Should be an absolutely fascinating series. Uh, plenty more still to come on the show tonight. We're actually going to step away uh, from the microphone, myself and Harmy, for the, uh, the next couple of sections because uh, Darren Goff is back with uh, Dominic Cork. Looking back at uh, West Indies in 2000 for this week's Test of Time. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Test of Time with Darren Goff on TalkSport 2. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Well, as you know, Goff is uh, away skiing for uh, the next uh, few days. But in advance of the show, we couldn't let you down. We had to bring you another test of time, which is fast becoming my favourite part of the show. Every week, Goffy looking back at uh, one of the series that he played in when he was uh, uh, playing for England with a former professional that uh, played alongside him in that series. And this week... Uh, we've got a real treat for you because uh, Dominic Cork, uh, his old uh, touring buddy, his old mucker, um, uh, joined him on the blower to look back at one of the uh, great test matches this century. It took place at Lords in 2000. West Indies were the visitors. Um, but it wasn't just about that uh, game itself, which uh, I'm sure we can all remember and we've all seen footage of. It was about the series as a whole and... Uh, Corky uh, got on the phone with Goffey and they sat down and they looked back at that series, a wonderful series and uh, one that uh, still um, love looking back on on uh, the, the old highlights packages. So sit back and enjoy as uh, Darren Goff and Dominic Cork go on their test of time journey back to 2000 and the... Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. 
In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Visits of the West Indies. Well, this week uh, with me, I've got a very good friend of mine. We've been friends since the early days, England under-19s. Uh, against Australia, then we toured together and lived together in New Zealand, um, Christchurch for six months while we were learning the trade, they call it, back in the day. But our test of time, special guest is Dominic Cork, and it's going to be from the West Indies Tour of England um, in 2000. How are you doing, Dom? I'm good. I'm good. I was your first wife as well, wasn't I? In New Zealand, you've got to, I know you've said it probably thousands of times and talked sport, but you know, first wife back in New Zealand, Christchurch. <laughs> I was your washer, iron, the cleaner, everything that I, you know. I was, I was that man. It was good times though, wasn't it, Dom? Uh, we had a roast on Christmas Day with loads of ketchup on, and we lived we off potato sandwiches at KFC. Oh, beautiful! Them potato sandwiches were amazing. I, I don't know what I've never had. I must have one again soon. They were that nice. <laughs> anyway, let's go back to the glory days, mate, because we had plenty of rubbish days playing for England back in those <laughs> in the nineties. But one special uh, moment was the West Indies when they came over to England. I always enjoyed playing against the West Indies. I don't know about you, Dom. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I thought it, you know when you play against the West Indies, and you know, yeah. You just remember the the good times watching when we were growing up, the Viv Richards mm. and, the, and the Clive uh, Lloyds and the Haynes and the, and, and the Ambrose and Walsh. And then when you eventually you come and play against them, you know, you played with Richie at Yorkshire, so you knew what he was like. You watched Laura. It was just, for me, one of the series, apart from Australia, of course. So I didn't play that many times against the Aussies. West Indies, to me, was that, was that um, series that you wanted to, one, win, and, and two, personally, do well in. Well, just go back quickly, because uh, your record against the West Indies is pretty impressive. I mean, you got the hat-trick, <laughs> didn't you? Was that 95 at that was Old 95, Trafford? Yeah. Old Trafford, Trafford. So yeah. um, what can yeah. you remember of that before we go on? Uh, we'll, we'll just jump uh, forward a bit. Well, before yeah, before that 2000, I'd, I'd made my debut at a couple of uh, test matches before at, at Lords, and, and, and that was a bit surreal because I was injured going into it and got through it, and things went well. We got hammered at uh, Edgebaston in three days on that. A dodgy pitch where there were three broken fingers, and then go to Old Trafford, and 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 Michael Afton came out with one of those inspirational um, uh, captain speeches. You know what they're like. <laughs> he stood up and said, "Can anybody do something?" It was first over of a Sunday morning, and I said, "Well, give me the ball, I'll bowl." And Richie just uh, got a ball that, that he was trying to leave. It hit his top of his pad and went onto his stumps. Junior Murray missed it by a country mile and still thinks he's nicked it and Carl Luther was on the toilet at the time and I think he was still thinking about things there when he came out and missed another straight one and it was uh, Cyril Mitchley who um, gave the uh, the third one out and it was a fantastic day for me and fantastic that we won the game and, and that was the most important thing. Oh, that's the first wicket of the day. Dominic Cork has the knack of making things happen. And the gully. 
Well, it's another good shout. He's done it! Dominic Cork has a hat-trick. Carl Hooper has got another W fastball. I mean, when you're doing it, I mean, I got a trick for England as well, as you know. You, know, you came well, on and ran into the pitch. But it's an amazing feeling when it happens because... You actually don't realise what you've done. No. You, you do, you're no. jumping up and down, everybody's celebrating, yeah. but it's yeah, after yeah. the game, isn't it, when you yeah, walk yeah. in and you think, yeah, I've yeah. just got an hat-trick in a test match. I know. I, know. I, th- I think that the thing is, I, you, you always hear sportsmen, when, when when things go well for them, whether it's a hat-trick of football, whether it's whatever it is in, in that profession, for some reason it's like time stands still. For me, when, I, when that finger went up, when it was Carl uh, Hooper, all I remember was Robin Smith grabbing me. I don't remember <laughs> anything else about any... You know, what had just happened until at the end of the day and then someone said, you, you realise, you know, you've done something special. And for me, I think it was the first time since Peter Loder in 1977 that that trick had happened, um, you know, against the West Indies. Like you say, and, and then for, for years to come, you know, I was there when you ran on and, and you know, you got the hat trick. And that stays with me because of, of what you've done. And then you see other people, Hoggard did it against... West Indies out in the West Indies and Jimmy Anderson and one day internationals. Uh, so it's a great achievement and something that, you know, I'm sure as you are, you're very proud of. I am indeed. And like I said, the early 90s, it was we needed something like that because in the early 90s, obviously 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, if we're going to really uh, shout about it, we were pretty uh, pathetic really as a team, our results. But things started to... Um, lift up didn't they we started to get better under Alex Stewart and Nasser Hussain where we were a real real team beating South Africa and then West Indies came we'd not beat the West Indies in a series since 1969 but this tour we're going to talk about is 2000 the West Indies coming here they had a decent uh, side because they had Brian Lara who was scoring runs for fun Shander Paul was on the scene a pretty good player Jimmy Adams captain Sherwin Campbell at the top of the well Shuffle Campbell I used to call him yeah. at the top of the yeah. order um, and waver lines we used to have some good battles oh, didn't we we all waver yeah. lines they were brilliant yeah yeah, yeah. well waver waver for me was just a walking wicket I mean, <laughs> it was just perfect you could have put a surfboard on his front front leg and I, it <laughs> just kept it just this big white pad coming at me for me he was but he was it was a, it was a great time to be involved because as you say I think England became a bit more professional how you know, just going back on that, how as a side, with the talent we had in those early mm. 90s, how we did not, you know, be a, become a better side, I, I still can't get it because we had so, so much talent in there. But I think as, as the, you know, going into the late 90s and then into the, the 2000s, it, it was like something, a light had switched on. We knew that we needed to be closer together. We needed to work together. And then when the West Indies turned up, I think they got, you know, the start of, uh, an England mm. uh, team that wanted to to do well, not just against the West Indies, but become number one in the world, which they did do later on. I agree totally with you. But what we had to be wary of is the West Indies. They still had the masterful two, didn't they? They had Ambrose and oh, Walsh yeah. uh, opening the bowling, and uh, basically we found out that there was going to be a battle, didn't we? In that first test, we played at Edgbaston. We were pretty confident going into it. Uh, yeah. We had, we, I thought we always did well at Edgbaston, but in this specific game. Um, no. It didn't go well from ball one, really, uh, and we got no. we got beat comfortable, didn't we, in that first test at Edgbaston? Yeah, and, and I think you know we perhaps underestimated because we you know we were thinking they've only got you know perhaps Lara and and a couple of bowlers, and and maybe we should have you know probably you know just taken it more that you know, forget them three. We've got to make sure we we look at the other parts of the team as well because they're a decent side. We just didn't play. We didn't turn up. 
Edgebaston, I always enjoyed playing at Edgebaston, but the times where I've always played there always seemed like, you know, we didn't perform well. There'll be individuals who performed in the team, but as a collective of 11 people, we just didn't get it together. So uh, that was a disappointing start because, you know, I thought at that stage, you know, we were a team that could start dominating Test cricket. To be fair, I think, is that the game, uh, Dom, when we played at Edgebaston, when we got basically booed off, or was that the one uh, before? That was that was that was ninety five when we got Ooh. booed off that one. That was bad. That one, not it? I was like a football that, crowd. That one, I thought that, they were going to get attacked. Oh well, yeah. That, well, it was over in three days. I remember that. I remember they were smacking on the old um, showers windows. Robin Smith had just been trying to fight his way through it. He got literally ball marks all over his chest because he didn't wear a, a, um, a chest pad. And the wicket wasn't great. And they were literally, uh, I remember others had to be escorted over to the indoor school for his press conference. And the people were after after his blood because, you know, a test match finishing two and a bit days, that just doesn't happen. So 2000 was different, but we were just, I think I think 2000 was outplayed. Um, no one really took the, the game in the England side, the scruff of the neck. So... Eventually, we were struggling. Well, we can't have because we're uh, believing it or not, Dom. Um, I, I, I was second top scorer in both innings with 23, yeah, and that's how uh, poor we played. Nick Knight top scored the first innings with a skill for 179, he got yeah. 26, and in the second mm-hmm. innings, Knighty uh, scrapped, scrapped um, 34 off 103 deliveries. And like I said, we were bowled out, Dom, for 179. And 125, yeah. and they yeah. uh, obviously 397 in the first innings beat us by an innings and 93 yeah, yeah. runs. Not a good start for England. If I remember right, did Sherwin Campbell get 100, or was that was that the match, or did he get runs, or was he not? I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the actual game. It's so difficult. Jimmy Adams, 98, he got. 98 and Shander Paul got 73. They yeah. were the run and scorers. They just, they just ground it out, and that's what they did. They did really well on. On a pitch where you know, let, let's be honest, we just we didn't get enough runs. Ever side, if you can't get more than two hundred, you, you're going to struggle. The minimum in the first innings, you know that to stay in a game, you've got to get at least three fifty. Um, you, you want to be four fifty on to try and win it. So that's what did us. I'm not blaming bowlers versus batters. We went through that period for a long period of time, but we just didn't perform with the bat and we didn't bowl them out. So you know, ultimately, they deserve to to go one nil up. Right, let's get on to uh, the, the Lords. It's the next test. It was someone uh, somewhere where I enjoy playing Lords. It's my favourite uh, test ground, if I'm going to be really, really honest. I know it's harsh on Edinley. That's my second favourite test ground. But Lords is a special place to play. If you could only play one test match, Dom, for me it would be Lords. What about you? Oh, no, Lords, 100%. Uh, I know, obviously, you've got the early issues with, uh, with heading, but I'm talking world cricket. If I had one test match to, to play now, it would be at Lords. Um, just the history, um, all about it, the changing rooms, um, you're walking through the long room, the actual pitch. I always enjoyed bowling at Lords, you know, because of the, the slope um, and just everything about it. You know, the build-up to a, to a Lords test match is very special and I made my debut there, so that's mm. why for me it'll always be, you know, the, the, the ground that I pick uh, uh, worldwide. You bowled the nursery end, didn't you, Dom? Yeah. That, that, um, well, when I first, when my, in my debut in 95, I started at the um, pavilion end and then in the second and he's reverted to, to the nursery end. But yeah, I, I enjoyed bowling at the nursery end. I think in hindsight, with the swing, I probably should have bowled from, from like what Jimmy does, from 
um, from the pavilion end. I know you like bowling from the pavilion yeah, end. Yeah, you couldn't get on my end, mate. That's what that was my end. I'm sorry, Dom, but. Uh, I know it was your end, and then I got Caddick wanted to Caddick Caddick had to get him off. Oh, it's my turn now, and um, so yeah, it was. It's, it's a great place you know, because of those little things you go through. The, the bowlers will have their specific ends, but also they'll have success there. You know, and, and you had your success. Uh, I remember in that game, the big wicket of, of Brian Lara in that game, and a mm. good catch by Alex Stewart, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, can you remember anything about the build-up to that test? Because, like I said, we'd just been thrashed, basically, at Edgbaston. And it was a big test match, this. We'd have gone 2-0 down in a five-match series. It would have been very, very hard to come back from. So can you men- remember anything about the build-up, Dom? Uh, I remember Duncan Fletcher. This is on a personal level. I think he'd just taken over. Am I right there, 2000? I am right. Yes, Duncan Fletcher had mm. just taken over. And I remember him sitting me on the um, on the balcony, and he said, uh, "I said I don't." He said, "I don't know a lot about you. I've heard a lot about you. I'm going to watch you for five days." And I thought, "Oh my word, what have I done wrong here?" So that was that was my first real introduction to Duncan Fletcher. I've heard a lot about you. NASA says you're the person we should have in your team, but I'm going to be watching you for five days, or it was actually six days because that was the day before. I just remember that we were we were we were slaughtered for for what we our performances at Edgebaston mm. in the paper. I remember that we weren't good enough, um, and I think you know everybody expected us to once again, as we've done throughout the, the 90s, is just lay down and allow opposition to go two 0 up, and then we react. And I think. I think what NASA and 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 also what um, Duncan Fletcher wanted was a reaction. Um, NASA was injured, wasn't he? Wasn't didn't Alec captain that game? Didn't he? Didn't NASA have a broken finger? Am I wrong with that? Is that another? I'm, I'm trying to remember. I'm sure no, I think yeah, I think you're spot on. I think uh, I think Alec was captain um, yeah, that game. NASA did have a, a, a broken yeah. finger. I'll tell you what, Dom. Let's just have a quick uh, break, and we'll come back after the break and talk about this second test because it's such a great test match and a real personal uh, favourite of yours, I'm sure. Test of time. With Darren Goff on TalkSport 2. Welcome back, and with me, as in the first half, is Dominic Cork, and we're here to talk about the second, uh, well, the West Indies series against England in 2000, but we're going to be mainly talking about the Lord's Test match, where England, we were 1-0 down. And as we've talked before the break there about me and Dom, the preparation, Duncan Fletcher basically uh, told him he's going to be watching him for the next five days. Basically, that means if you didn't perform, Dom, you're on your bike. Um, we've all heard that from du- uh, Duncan, haven't we, at some stage of our career. He was that type of coach, wasn't he? He tested you. Yeah, he, he gave you nothing, absolutely nothing. All he did was stick his glasses on, uh, looked quite miserable, looked like he was, you know, wouldn't give you anything. But underneath the glasses, and if you got inside there, he, he actually got some good views on swing bowling for me because he was that sort of thing, that sort of, you know, cricketer. But, you know, I, I'll always say, and I'll always state now, you know, I, I really respected him as a coach. It just when you first go in there, you're just not sure how to take that sort of... Um, reaction from a coach but it, it worked for me on, on that specific occasion because it was like okay you watch me because I'm just going to show you exactly what I do on a cricket field mm. So let's get into the game Matthew Walgard I think came in for his debut uh, in that and we'll get on to that later because that's a brilliant uh, story we old Matthew Walgard down the line but um the West Indies battered. Uh, they got 267 in that first innings, which is a kind of 
nowhere score really if we're going to be honest about it some of the games I've played at Lords if you bat first you look to you you look to bat long don't you and get at least 350 360 so 267 kind of no man's land score Sherwin Campbell 82 mm. um Wavell, Obviously didn't swing that day, Dom. He didn't get any runs. Don't tell me. 59. Got runs. You got him out, though. You got him out, though. I'll give you that. Uh, caught, How was he out? Caught How Stewart. Was he out? You know, was, caught, was it, oh, caught, caught behind, yeah. Okay. Caught behind. And um, you actually ended up with figures in the first innings of 24 overs. Pretty impressive, this. Four for 39. Your economy rate, 1.62 per over. Which, when you judge it at the side of mine, I went for 3.4. Or two and over. Yeah, well, we were we were different bowlers. Yeah. You were a strike bowler. You were pace. You, you know, you, that's what you were all about. And people sometimes, you know, used your pace and would get benefits down to third man. I was more a hold bowler and and trying. You know, I, I, I that that was our different roles. So I, I never read anything into that economy rates. So I think economy rates, unless you're going at sevens in Test cricket, you know, you forget that it's about mm. wickets. You've got wickets. I got wickets, and that was more important. And, and the thing is there, Don, both of us taking uh, four... Well, I've got four wickets as well, that innings. We both took four wickets. Now you, I'd give you one of them for you to get on the board. Uh, that uh, would have been fantastic. I know, I know, um, and I'm sure you'd give me one as well there to get yeah, on that board. Because, I mean, yeah. I'd still not, I don't think, at this time, got on the board for England. I think I'd got, like, this one, I four for fifth, four for at Lords. But, um, yeah. You just want to get on there, don't you? You just want to see your name up on that board in that yeah, dressing yeah, room, Dom. Yeah, yeah. and, and just to, you know, to tell the listeners, you know, if you ever have a chance of going in that changing room, do it because the history that is on the home and away changing room as well. You know, the, all the you know the five wicket halls, all the you know the hundreds. Uh, you know, you just see the names that you eventually you know, and we're lucky enough that we we're on there that you see you know from from my biggest hero Ian Botham to you know, Philip de Freitas, to all the bowlers throughout the, their period of their careers, going back to John Levers, the Bob Willises, they're all on there. And, and I think, like you say, to put your name on there, no one can take that away from you. Whatever you do in your sport, it's there and it's there for life. Mm, it is indeed. But so 267, we thought pff, we were happy as bowlers. We walked off. I was happy, four wickets. We were you... always happy, there was bowlers, yeah. weren't we? <laughs> I mean, you were happy, four wickets. The yeah. team were happy. We were off the field. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nice, um, obviously, a nice grubber as well at Lords. So uh, we thought we oh. would get settled down. We wouldn't be long. Yeah. Yet, guess what? England <laughs> collapse. 134 all out at Lords. Can you believe it? And the two maestros, Ambrose and Walsh, with. Four wickets each. It tended to be the trend at that match. Can you remember anything about that first innings for us? Uh, yeah, just uh, just how good Walsh and Ambrose were again. Mm. I just I, I remember we were quite loose outside off stump. I remember a lot of times either the ball coming back down the hill from the the uh, pavilion end, so coming down the slope and and players getting caught on the crease. It's very hard to get forward to Walsh and Ambrose, but also quite loose. I thought we were outside. The off stump people getting caught behind, you know, caught first slip. I remember seeing Brian Lara catching one at first slip. So ultimately, you know, I wouldn't blame our, our batsmen in a way. I just thought Walsh and Ambrose just showed what a great combination they were. How can you remember that? I reckon you only remember Lara catching that match at slip because it was me. Ambrose. No, I, 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 yeah, that, yeah I, I, no, I think. Is, is, or the others. Yeah, uh, he, Adam. yeah. Others were caught slip as well. Sorry, yeah, Courtney yeah, Walsh, early yeah. doors. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, it, and I, and I think that throughout that period, 
of that first inning. So I remember, because you, you remember, we used to, I don't know what we did, we used to sit in the back, didn't we, watching yeah. it, come on, back, you know, we were always in the dressing room, attendance room, right at the back, just sitting there on a little <laughs> portable TV, and then, oh, there's another one, there's another one, oh, I'm going to have to get my pads on in a minute, what are we doing, lads, come on. So, you know what I mean? And you went through that period of time, so I, I just remember, I you know, certain wickets always stick with me, and I remember, I think Graham Hick may have been LBW, I don't know whether that was first innings or second innings. Mm, he were both first innings. Um, we'll get on to the second innings in a minute. It's 134. I, I think I had to rush out of the bath to get my pads on at some <laughs> point, uh, which was never good. Um, and then, so they had about 133 lead, I think it was. I think that works yeah, out. They did. How it does. But then we go into the second innings, uh, and we had to basically... I, I remember this, actually, now, because we actually had to go out and basically give them all... I think it was Alex Stewart did a team... Was it Alex Stewart did the team talk? So, yeah. listen... We've got to get into this West Indies side. We're taking it too much. We've got to go and give them what they're giving us because it's pathetic uh, the way yeah. we performed. I remember that, do you? Yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember. I, NASA was around as well because NASA was in the changing room. I remember that. And then Stewie, Stewie came out with, you know, we've got to get into them. We've got to be, you know, aggressive. We've got to be ruthless. We've got to... Everything about it. We knew that, you know, there was enough in that surface as well because... We were bowled out, as you know, like, and, and then we bowled them out. And I think even though we bowled them out for 260, I think we were perhaps thinking, you know, we bowl anything like we can perhaps bowl them out for 200 second innings, mm. and then we chase that down. So, yeah, I, I remember that. You know, you remember certain little speeches from captains. But, yeah, Stuart was, Stuart was always like, get out there and let's, you know, we've got to make sure we, we stick it to the West Indies. And we sure did. <laughs> we did indeed. Can you believe this, Dom? Scorecard. At Lords, fifty-four all out from twenty-six point four overs. When was the first wicket as well? Was it Aidan Griffiths was the first wicket? I'm trying to remember. Yes, I, I got I got Griffith out, caught Stewart. But I think yeah. if you remember this, Caddick had was not been bowling that out? well. Yeah, this was the turning point for Caddick. Yeah. If you remember, yeah. I took that catch, yeah. didn't I? At yeah, you took the catch at third, third, third man. Third man, spot on, third man. And and yeah. Caddy weren't in great form uh, before no. that game. And and they were talking about how he'd been going. Me and you obviously have been bowling okay. But the catch was, um, I remember it clear as a bell. And Caddy were almost in shock, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. By what yeah, went yeah, on. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it, was, it was at the bottom corner underneath the home changing rooms so I was going down the bank and I'm just, I remember you taking it and uh, giving it the little flick up in the air and it was like it was a switch on for Caddy then <laughs> yeah. and, you know eventually I think you and Caddy got the majority and then I think I got a couple as well and then you know we we bowled them out and then I think once you bowl them out for that everybody thinks oh this is going to be an easy victory well just to let you know I, I couldn't get back on um, I got the first two they took me off they brought you on and uh, you cleaned it up, mate. Uh, you took three for 13 in that second innings, and there were three uh, obviously important wickets because we had to dismiss them. You got the captain, Jimmy Adams, LBW Court, which is textbook. You got Court and Bowl, Frankie. Remember Franklin yeah. Rose? He Franklin was a competitor, wasn't he? Yeah, Franklin Rosewater. Yeah, that's what they used to call him, yeah. Uh, and yeah. then you got and King. If I remember right, Venkat, Venkat um, gave uh, Jimmy Adams out. And it was slightly, maybe, just pitching outside leg stump. But we don't say anything about that. No, no, we don't. And then you got King out, um, LBW as well. But 54, I remember going off there and thinking, oh, hang on a minute, we've still got a bit to do here. They've they've got Ambrose and Walsh 
can we actually do it? And I didn't think it was ever going to be a, a, a walk in the park at Lords, two experienced bowlers. There was a bit yeah. of a, it wasn't a green pitch, was it? But it had, no. if you got the ball in the right areas, it was slower than your normal Lords pitch, where I can remember mm. of. And you had to graft. You had to graft to get the runs. But the hardest two, as a batsman, from a batsman's point of view, the hardest two to graft against are Ambrose and Walsh. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the, I think perhaps that was in the mind of the batsman. And you when you're walking off, and you know you're just thinking, okay, we've just bowled West Indies out 54. We need 187. Was it? I'm trying to work it out what it was we needed to to win. And all of a sudden, I think the batsman perhaps thinking this isn't going to be as easy as as we think it is going to be. It was quite overcast. I remember them. It was quite and only mm. humid, but it was overcast conditions. And you know at Laws that. When the sun isn't out, then there's a bowler. There's sometimes you can just get a little bit more out the surface. And uh, I think going into that fourth innings, um, it was something that the batsmen in their mind thinking, we've got to get, try and get through Walsh and Ambrose. Either get through Walsh and Ambrose, or get the odd loose delivery from uh, Rose, or get the odd one from Rion King. Um, and if, they, you know, if, if we can do that, we'll win the game. What I was surprised at in this game... I don't know if you can remember this, but Rampakash actually opened the batting. Opened the innings, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know exactly how he got out second innings as well, because it's something that stays with me for a, a long time. I think if I'm right, it was Steve Buckner was one of the umpires. Oh, I'm sure he was, and he was given out second innings. I'm giving away the second innings. I'm sure he was given out caught behind, and he missed it by a long way. And and Mark, that were first innings. In the first, in the first second game? innings, he was bald Walsh. But is that is that when you're talking when Raps just stood there? He didn't budge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah. And, th- and that was a big thing for Ramps. He, he was he was on the verge of losing his place, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, he batted everywhere, you know. And, and the mm. reason why you know he'd gone up, uh, you know, he batted three, four, five, six, opened, you know, and he'd been around Test cricket for a long time, you know. And I felt for him. Just, you know, you're up against two genius. Uh, bowlers in, in uh, Walsh and Ambrose on a surface that they're loving and have licked their lips over for the first innings, and it's never easy. You know, it's, you know, we always say, you know, we we do the hard yards, but sometimes going out there when you've just fielded for a particular amount of time and then go out and take the first ball, not an easy job. I tell you what, Dom, you're that good a talker. I'm going to have to get you back in. Um couple of seconds, so we're just going to have to break once again. I'll get you back for the for crunch time at Lords. Test of time with Darren Goff on Talksport Two. Right, Dom. So uh, we're chasing. I think it was one eight seven or one eight eight to win the game. We're already one nil down in the series at Lords. We lost an early wicket. Ramper cash. Um, which was we all felt for Ramps as uh, soon as he went because we knew how important he was desperate to succeed at test level and he was just finding it hard at that time but then Vaughan came together with Atherton now these two could bat time if you wanted them to and they put on a, a useful partnership uh, they did, uh, and you know, you know, you knew Vaughan from obviously his time at Yorkshire, and uh, you know he'd been in the side, um, and, and, and you know he's a class player. Others, you know, a grinder, um, and that's what we needed as a side. We needed a, a partnership because I think when you're chasing such a, a small target, sometimes as a, a chasing side, you panic over a couple of wickets and thinking, surely we can't lose it from here. So we just needed a senior player or, or somebody like a Vaughan to just take the sting out of the game and you put that partnership together 
Um, and, and they did. And, and you know, that, that's what perhaps in the end just eased a little bit of pressure in that changing room. I must admit, when they had that partnership uh, in the dressing room, because I always got nervous. Um, I, I didn't like to watch as much as possible because I were always thinking I might have to go out and bat against Walsh and Ambrose. So I didn't. I won't really <laughs> rush in to get out there, if I'm going to be honest. But that partnership kind of probably eased the worries. Uh, but when the both went in the 40, 40s to Walsh, who was on fire, by the way, and then he... In fact, Courtney Walsh, that innings, mate, let me just tell you, Atherton, LBW, Walsh, 45. Rampercash, bold Walsh, 2. Vaughan, caught Jacobs, bold Walsh, 41. Hick, caught Lara, bold Walsh, 15. Stewart, LBW, bold Walsh, 18. Now that is pretty impressive. <laughs> got to be out, yes, it's uh, Nip back and Ketlow, it's that man Walsh again, he's taken all five wickets. I remember the Stewie wicket as well, he went back to quite a uh, shortish delivery, Ketlow came down the mm-hmm. bank, LBW, I, I remember that, and at that stage I just thought, sitting in that back room, um, thinking, wow, where we go here, this is not going to go what, as well as we thought it was. If I remember right, they bowled unchanged as a pair in that test match for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And we thought, surely they've got, they've got to stay, that's it now. But Jimmy Adams knew. He knew that the, that was the only pair that were going to get them back into this test match from the position they were in and go 2-0 up. Well, series perhaps won. So two and a half hours they bowled unchanged. And it was like, you knew what they were like. They sat in, they sat in perhaps... Not as quick, you know, pace-wise for a period of time. And then once they got a wicket, they just switched it on and, and some big names they got out there. Well, they, they give you nothing, did they? I, I, like I say, I don't think they were as quick as they were in the pomp, but they were not, you didn't get any balls to it. Not, none whatsoever. No, and, and, and I think that's, that, that was the difference. Whereas with King and Rion King and with Rose, they'll always give you a short ball to cut or they'll give you a leg side one to, to maybe flick away. But with Walsh and Ambrose, they were just mm. back of a length, outside off stump, nipping back, nipping away, take your chance. And, and uh, what, what, what they did was, you know, throughout their career was fantastic. And it was summed up with Ambrose's figures, to be fair, in, in, in this uh, second innings. He bowled 22 overs, Dom, one for 22. <laughs> That's then, how hard he was to get away. Yeah. I mean, he was ridiculous. But it was uh, the bowling change what did it. I mean, we, we he actually come on and got a wicket. He got 90 out, um, Franklin. He got Franklin Rose. He got 90 out. And then Chalky went for a duck. They're up again. And this time, up goes Venkat's finger. Craig White goes for a duck. Wall strikes again, England 140 for six. Then entered the main man, Dominic Cork. Would you have believed it, Dom? You used to love moments like this, didn't you? Going in, Cork to win the game. Yeah, I don't know whether... I never thought of it like that. I just thought, you know, just do something. I, I, the only thing I remember is I, I walked through the long room and it was I heard someone say, well, that's the end of that then. And, and for... And I just thought, you know, no, I'm not having that. I, I didn't say anything. I just thought, no, I'm, I'm going to show you exactly. Uh, you know, it's not the end of that. Uh, it was, you know, it was one of those occasions. You know what it's like. You know, you're in a, you're in a certain zone. You, you just want to do well. And, um, you know, it was one of those occasions. I just got the thought, just focus on the ball. Don't worry whether it's Walsh, Ambrose. It doesn't matter who it is. Just focus on the ball and do it in tens. You know, don't worry about the total. Just do it in tens. That's exactly how we'll do it. 
Mm. But Caddick uh, went, uh, he went for seven, and that brought in myself. Uh, I was ah. batting at ten. Only Matthew Ogard behind me, who <laughs> was his debut, poor lad. He didn't get on in the second innings for a bowl. He didn't he take couldn't. a wicket in the first innings. He's now going in, well, he was next in, in a game yeah. which if we'd have lost it, we'd have gone 2-0 down in the series. I think he uh-huh. bit his bat rubber to pieces while I yeah. was... Well, I was walking out there, and he was there watching me, especially me, uh, batting against the West Indies. But Goff and Cork together for after all those years, can you imagine? <laughs> well, it felt normal to me you coming out. And in a way, I know perhaps you've told everybody exactly what, what you said when you came out, but seeing you walk out um, when Caddy had just walked off, uh, it was like we went back to those East Shirley days, you know, and under-19 cricket and and all that, it felt normal, and I said, come on, we can do this, and if people don't know what you said, you said, hey, up, lad, just think how famous we'll be if we win this. And in some ways, you know, that was the best thing to do, because it was like you took away, not the seriousness of it, but took away the pressure in a way, and it made me giggle inside. I felt like saying, what are you on about, idiot? You know, it was just about, like, you just took everything away, and I I knew that you wouldn't give it away, I hoped I wouldn't give it away, and I think to have you there helped me because I knew how much you loved winning games with the bat and ball and just winning games anyway, but doing it for England at Lords, I knew how much that meant to you. So in some ways, that little comment relaxed me a bit more, and I just thought, yeah, you know, we can do this. It can be done, and, you know, in in the end, a few loose deliveries and a few scamperings through the... the, uh, to the wicket like we did and, and picking up ones and twos we we got there do you know something Dom um, I like I like the glory I must admit and I like to play the odd shot but all I I'll be honest now and I've not said this before I was relying on you that game because there was no way I was getting a run off Walsh and Ambrose uh, they were just bowling back of them to me I never really liked going forward against them too so I was just trying to survive uh, which I did I think I faced 30 odd balls for my four yeah. runs but I yeah. was just if it wasn't for you I, I was just relying on you to hit boundaries because there was no way I don't think I was ever going hit to a, hit a boundary on that pitch against that quality of attack what, what, what I what I thought going into there, I, I just thought, right, let's try and see if I can, you know, pick the odd one up, try and see Walsh and Ambrose off and then attack at the other end, try and do something like that. And I remember thinking, right, just get in line to Ambrose. And I remember I tried to push forward to a ball from Ambrose from the pavilion end. And it was not, not a half volley. It hit me in just above uh, the sternum, like nearly in the throat. And I thought, no, I'm not going to be doing that again. Um, and, I, and I just thought, right, what would you hate if you were in that situation? If you were an Ambrose, if you were a Walsh, if you, what would you, what would, what wouldn't you want as a batsman? So I just thought you wouldn't want somebody to come out thinking right, be aggressive. So I just thought if I get the opportunity here, if someone bowls short, I'm going to try and pull it and hook it, even though I'm not a batsman. And if someone gives me width, I'm just going to try and slap it. If someone hit bowls full, I'm going to hit it back over the head, and it worked. That's over the top, putting it on this time. Good shot from Dominic Cork, running away down towards that long on boundary. Twelve from the over, great over for England. I remember Walsh gave me some room outside of the off stump. I cut it. Uh, Ambrose pitched it up. I hit it back over his head, uh, and we just scampered runs. And it was like the confidence. And all I remember is, I don't know whether you do. I remember looking up. At that balcony, thinking, look at those poor idiots up there. The nervous as and hoggy with his Oggy. helmet on, ready, ready to come in with his with his head on his on his back like that. And I'm thinking, it's not that bad, mate. 
It's away through the covers. It'll go for four. England have won the match. Can you remember uh, the winning hit? Yeah, it was off uh, Walsh from the uh, nursery end. Everybody in. Uh, there was a few words going on. I think Laura was trying to get in. And he bowled a short uh, and wide, and I hit it down the bank uh, towards the tavern. And um, that was the, that was a winning hit. I remember running through, you grabbing stumps at the pavilion end, me <laughs> grabbing stumps at the nursery end. And uh, I remember saying, brilliant bowling, Walshy, you know, you deserve mm. to be on the winning side with that. I remember saying that to him. Um, celebrations in the dressing room, because like I said, we, we were under pressure there to dismiss them uh, like we did in that second innings for 50 to 50 or and then to win the game from nowhere. Uh, yeah. The fortunes for England turned in that at that moment, didn't they? Really? Yeah, that that one day turned turned confidence in the side, confidence in everything. I remember turning to uh, Duncan Fletcher saying, "I hope you enjoyed watching me for those days." Um, and I just thought, you know, I just sensed that you know the turning point of a side that is underachieved for such a long period of time, but that belief. And all right, we were there at the end, which was great, but it was a fact that it was a collective of, of a group of guys with a coach and, and the backroom staff who, who then thought, yeah, we could actually do this on uh, a lot more occasions. Mm, and we went on to win the series. As I said, we'd not beat uh, the West Indies since 1969, but it was comfortable in the end. We had some great fun along the way. Old Trafford was a bit of a bore fest. Edinley, another similar test match uh, to uh, Lords, where we dismissed them twice, didn't we? Quite cheaply. 120. Four in and over, I remember that. Yeah, game. four in and over. Uh, we dismissed them for 125 and 215. Uh, which was fantastic. Then we went. We were, to... drunk. we were drunk that night. I remember it was a Friday night. We were it was. Drunk. It we was indeed. In two days. It was indeed. But what a, it was one of my favourite ever series, Dom. And like I said, man of the match at Lords, Dominic Cork. Brilliant performance with bat and bowl, and that's why he was one of my favourite cricketers. And that's why I wanted to get him on a test of time. So thanks for your time, Dom. It's been absolute quality. Cheers, Goffey, and good luck with everything, mate. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Well, a big thanks to uh, Dominic Cork and, of course, Goffey there for that uh, brilliant look back at uh, all the events in that wonderful series back in 2000. Um, West Indies are visitors and so many memories, uh, not just from that Lord's Test, but from the other matches as well. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. And Goffey, of course, will be back uh, next week and we'll be doing another Test of Time. Actually, Harmy, we should do a Test of Time. Um, if uh, well, It would be West Indies again for you, would it? Or 2005 Ashes, South Africa 2004. You uh, you took part in quite a few Test series that uh, I'm sure you wouldn't mind looking back on with uh, with a cigar on. Yes, definitely, most definitely, and uh, that's interesting. That you got Goffey and Corky in the same on the same. Uh, that that would be a great conversation to to listen to because when you do have a conversation with Darren or with Dominic, you do tend to listen to quite a lot, especially them <laughs> talking about themselves. So it <laughs> uh, it's brilliant, great great to hear stories like that from from the past two you know, legends of the game, but also characters of the game. So yeah, you know, I'll definitely look forward to doing one myself. I tell you what, Dominic Cork, he, uh, he can rub people up the wrong way, I he think can. it would be fair to say. He can, yeah. um, But I, I think he looks up to Goffey a bit, you know. He looks Certainly they're, when they were players. They've got a lot of respect for each other and a, a lot they of do. A love for each other, friendship-wise. They are very good friends. Dominic Cork, he was one of these blokes that he was an absolute nightmare to play against. <laughs> 
a nightmare to play against, but a great person to have in your team. I, I love Corky. I think the world of him. I think he's a great competitor. Um, and we've got our next guest that's coming on, Neil Colleen. I remember walking out at Lancashire um, in a one-day game. I think we needed some like 80 to win. Me and me and Killer, nah, 10 and 11. And Corky ran up to me on my way out. I was three quarters of the way out towards the, to the square to take guard. And Corky's run up to me and he's more or less in my face. And he's gone, I've waited 15 years to do this to you. <laughs> and he bounced me every ball. He, he just tried to hit me on the head every ball. He got wided twice, umpire. And he just says, I've waited 15 years to do this to you. Because every time I bowled at Corky, I hit him somewhere. So he was a brilliant character, uh, a great man and somebody I do spend a bit of time with now with a piece here. And it's, it's great to see him every time. But him and Corky are really close. Uh, him and Goffey are really close. Um, and yeah, like I said, four great characters. Well, you and our new, next guest are, are very close uh, buddies as well. Neil Colleen, uh, co- part of the coaching staff at Durham, of course, and uh, former player, um, joins us on the show now. Neil, thanks for joining us uh, on Cricket Week. Um, is your nickname really Killer? Yeah, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit of a false nickname, I think. I'm a gentle giant, really, but um, got nicknamed that as, as a kid coming through, and it's kind of stuck, really. Even my mum calls me it now. <laughs> yeah, killer. Kill yeah, killer. You, you, he's right. He's, he is. He is a gentle giant. Um, as as you know, as tough as a cumber, as you know, as soft as a cum. He was brunt of my jokes for about fifteen years. Weren't you, kill? Unfortunately, um, but well, somebody had to be. Exactly. But yeah, you mentioned that as a kid, killer was. He was. He's got the same amount of hair as he was when he was twelve year old, and he was actually faster. <laughs> he was a faster bowler as a twelve year old than he was when he was thirty five when he finished playing. Weren't you, kill? <laughs> I reckon I'm faster now, though. <laughs> but how's it going, Matt? You've just come back off the off the back of a an under nineteen trip. Uh, how was that in New Zealand? Uh, yeah, it was good. I mean, we spent um, pretty much the whole of the month of January out there in well, we were based in Queenstown for most of the tournament, which was a fantastic place to be. Um, great experience for those young lads. We played some fantastic cricket right up until the quarter final, really. Mm. And um, unfortunately, we just froze a little bit in the quarter final and. Um, a young leg spinner from Australia bowled us out. Yeah, he bowled fantastically well. And you're back now in the cold. John's still over there in the warmth of New Zealand, but we'll not mention mm. that. Uh, but it's we're toasty. back now. Yeah, sorry. I'm just saying it's toasty. It's lovely. Oh. Oh, it's, it's actually dark here at the moment, but yeah, lovely. very, very pleasant still. Well, well I'm out by Ashton and it's snowing here, and I guarantee you where Killer is, it'll be snowing up in the hills up in there, Durham. But you'll be, uh, Durham will be warm to see that they've named a, a one day captain in Latham this, this morning, as well as in you overseas in Markham. You know, how are Durham looking at this moment in time? Yeah, I mean, it's nice to get back in and in and around the lads. The lads have been working hard whilst I've been away. And um, that's a big announcement this morning for us. So Tom's taking the captaincy on and we've agreed sort of when he's coming over, he's going to be over here. Um, I think he misses the first four games of which we've signed Aidan Markram, which is um, another young player. So it kind of fits the squad, really. Things at Durham at the moment, uh, I mean, it's still tough, obviously, to be, to be hit the way we were. And then we've lost another sort of three players in the window with Paul Coughlin, Keaton Jennings, Graham Onions. But in a way, it almost reminds me of, of where we started, Army. It's, it's yeah, definitely. Of, we've done full circle. Um, it's now time for some of the young players to step up and have opportunity. And, and it's, you know, for, for them, it's a great time to be at Durham because they're going to get a chance to play. Uh, and that's how we were presented with our opportunity. And, and hopefully they can step up, grab it with both hands and drive Durham back to where we should be, really. 
in the coaching staff, you know, you've got you know, John Lewis, um, yourself, Alan Walker, John Winders. John Winders is probably the most important man at the club now with trying to bring some you know, players through from the academy. You know, what's you know, the enthusiasm? How's, how's everything gone over the winter for, for you, for you coaching staff, ready for, for what is going to be a hectic but cold start of the season? Well, I mean, again, the, the lads have been working hard in the gym. We've got a new strength and conditioner in Sam Clark. He's um, he's done a good job. Enthusiastic young lad who's come in and, and sort of really got the lads working hard. They're, they're in good shape, I must admit. Coming back, having not seen them for a month, you kind of see how people look a little bit more and, and they look in good shape. And I mean, the coaching staff have been working hard indoors, trying to get the lads up. There's only so much you can do indoors. It gets a little bit monotonous after a while. We're not going away anywhere, so we're hoping we can get outside uh, the grounds says 17th of March is, is the target date to get outside on the wicket. So that'll be good if we can get outside, do a bit of work there. And then we've got some early games. We play Middlesex and Cambridge early um, away from home. So we'll travel travel south and try and get a little bit of warm. And then hopefully we can hit the ground running. So, it's, yeah, it's been a good winter. Lads look in good shape and, and hopefully sort of the optimism's quite high. And, yeah, you mentioned there, you know, the, the three players that have left. Who of the who of the three players that have left are going to be the hardest to replace? As well as that, uh, who is going to replace them and, and really take the yeah the um, the mantle on of replacing, especially a couple of them senior players? Um, I mean, all three are going to be very difficult to replace. But I mean, Paul Coughlin was an exciting talent. He's he's gone on. He's gone to Notts. He, he's seen the opportunity to to play first division cricket under the eyes of the selectors, and and he's gone on and played for the Lions this winter and done very well. He'll be difficult to replace, but in a guy called James Wheel, I think we've got another exciting talent coming through who's, who's a genuine all-rounder. Um, interesting bowling talent, bowls a little bit different, um, got a lot of one-day skills, um, could be a, a captain of the future if, um, if he goes, goes well and keeps learning, um, but he can bat as well, he strikes a clean ball, so I think he'll look to replace Coughlin. Um, from Keaton Jennings' point of view, very difficult to replace somebody like Keaton. He's over the last few years he's been outstanding and obviously forced his way into the test side. And I think he'll be back there at some point. I mean, it'd be interesting to see who England pick if Livingston isn't fit. Mm. Um, he may get the nod again if he's not fit. And I mean, to replace him, it's going to have to be one of the youngsters that stands up. We've got a couple of lads in there. Graham Clark, I think, will play a huge part this year. He's had a good winter playing out in Geelong in Melbourne. And he'll come back off the back of a couple of hundreds out there recently. And he'll, t- he'll take that opportunity well. And we signed a guy last year from the MCC, young cricketers, called Gareth Hart. And I think Gareth will, uh, will step up. He's a, a genuine batsman, South African origin, but a genuine batsman who bowls a, a little bit of medium pace. Which is good. And I think, you know, there's clubs, you know, there's, I would say smaller clubs. I'm being dis- disrespectful here, but to, to the smaller clubs or, you know, the non-test playing venues, they tend to prioritise one format of the game, whether it's the Paul Eggs in basket for 2020. Have we, have Durham, I'd say we, yes, I, I do count myself as we, do we have enough quality um, and depth to go and fight on three fronts, which is 50 over 2020 and championship? Or are we looking more to prioritise one format, get us back into a, a certain division and uh, and try and build build from there? Because it is a rebuilding job at Durham at this moment in time. No, it is, yeah. But even though it's a rebuilding job, we're still looking to compete as high as we can. And I think it's definitely a priority to get back up to that first division. That's where we belong. I mean, I know we talk about small clubs from, from a test match point of view, but we are a big club. We've mm. been the most successful club probably in the country over the last 10 years. And I think we've got to get back to where we belong in that. And that's, that is a rebuilding exercise. But 
it's quite an exciting one with a group of players we've got because they're quite close knit, as as we always are up here. It's like a family in the northeast, and um, I think that's one of the strengths that we've got. And we'll try and get back there as quickly as we can. Um, I do, however, think that we can target the one-day competitions, the 50 over and the 2020, as as being something we can actually win. And that that's something that we'll we'll certainly try and plan and, and sort of progress in that. So, Kill, we're, we're coming to the we're coming to the, the sort of back end of you know the the, the start really of, of pre-season. You know the, the you know the where where did Durham go? Because they haven't got the money to go away. You mentioned they're going to to Middlesex and to Cambridge. How difficult is it that pre-season in England when you don't go away, you don't get the volume of cricket, especially when you mentioned that 17th of March. That is going to be cold for some of the young lads up in the northeast. It is, mate. And you know, as you know, you've, you've been out there with your woolly hat and your uh, your winter gloves on and winter coat half the time. And uh, it is difficult. We've got to we've got to try and keep it sort of fresh for the lads. We, we try and change things up, and we've had a bit of a red ball focus. We switch into a white ball focus. We work on skills sessions. I think the key to it is keeping it short, sharp, and specific. So we get the lads in. They'll come in. I'm just pulling up in the ground and this morning, and we'll have them in. They'll do a little bit in the gym. Come into the indoor school work specifically on, on their skills for probably about an hour, an hour and a half, and then they're off again. They'll go back to the gym, do that session, and they're out of here. It's, we've got to keep it as fresh as we can. We might go off-site. They've done a couple of sessions out on the beach, which, again, probably even colder, but it, it just breaks things up and gets them out and, and doing something different. Uh, Neil, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time, and it'll be fascinating to see uh, just how Durham go this season. But uh, appreciate your, your, your honesty, and uh, well, it's, it's quite fascinating just to sit back and listen to two old buddies talk about their club, really. <laughs> Cheers, Kill. No problem. No problem. That's uh, Neil Colleen, uh, coach at Durham, and uh, yeah, just sounds like a good bloke, Harmy. Brilliant bloke. Uh, one, of, one of England's, uh, well, one of Durham's, but one of England's unsung heroes. Coming up, um, I tell you what, you ask, and uh, I remember sitting in a, in, a, in an England dressing room at the, I think we were in Australia, we were leaving Australia to go, or leaving the World Cup, I think it was, in the fi- when the fixtures came out, um, and the, the Nasser Husseins of this world, Nick Knights, they would go, oh no, I'm going to Durham in May, <laughs> and it wasn't, and it, and it wasn't, oh, I'm going to face Harmison, it was Killeen. They did not want to face Killeen and Mayer. That's the one bowler you did not want to face. And any of the old county pros that played Durham, um, listen to this programme, they will say to you, I'd face Harmony any day of the week on them slow wickets. But the one person we did not want to face was Killer because he was a nightmare to face in them, on them little green seamers. And I think every batsman around the country that played against Neil Killeen at Durham between sort of April and you know the, the start of June, they did not want to face Killer, and he's a brilliant coach as well. He's somebody who I think will climb the ladder um, as a in the England in the England ranks. Like you said, he was there with under the 19s. He's a top man and a and a very very fine coach, and he was a good player as well. Brilliant stuff, well, uh, fascinating insight there, and uh, thanks to you, Homie, for the last uh, couple of hours. We're going to uh, uh, make sure you've uh, you printed your boarding pass. You're, you're packed and ready to go. 
yeah, I'm ready to go and I'm looking forward to, to getting away from the snow and hopefully it doesn't follow me across to, across to Spain. <laughs> well, that'd be something if it did. Uh, <laughs> mate, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll speak to you soon, no, no doubt. Um, maybe get you on the show next week when you return. But uh, thanks for your time. Uh, that is uh, the end of the show. Just a reminder, uh, Talk Sport 2 is always going to be the place to be every Monday night from 8 o'clock, Darren Goff's Cricket Week. Uh, myself and usually Goffey discussing, debating, arguing about the biggest cricket stories. You can listen to TalkSport 2 and on DAB online and via or via the TalkSport app. And we're also available online as a podcast or on iTunes. So please subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Along the lines of this is the best podcast ever. Uh, That's pretty much all we've got time for. Back again next week, 8 till 10 on TalkSport 2. But for now, that's it. You'll be listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.